0: Denver Sports Tonight, taking a look at
1: the biggest stories in Denver sports from your online home for the best opinions and information on the Broncos, Nuggets, Avalanche, Rockies and more, DenverSports.com. And it is Denver Sports Tonight on this Thursday
2: night in the Mile High City, one of the busiest days on the sports calendar. We got March Madness. We got the Nuggets. We've got the Avalanche. We've got the Broncos still making moves, interviewing their players. There is a lot going on. I assume the Rockies played a spring training game today. James Merrill, Andrew Mason rolling on from the drive. And Mac guys, left us with a cliffhanger. He did. did. Mm -hmm. So we're going to pick up right there. And this notion, and guys, I got to hear your opinion because I couldn't wrap my mind around it. I understood his logic, but I couldn't wrap my mind as a fan that if your players
1: are so good, you should trade them. Do you buy that at all, James? No, I, I don't. And I get the logic behind it of you, you're you trying to maximize them, but you're constantly just in uh, in spin cycle then, right? You're, you're never getting ahead. And to me, it, look, they didn't trade for Russell Wilson. They didn't trade for Sean Payton to go into rebuild build mode. If they were in rebuild mode, had they hired Jonathan Gannon, then yeah. If somebody wants to give you two two ones for Pat Sertan and somebody wants to give you a one and another pick, for Jerry Judy, you consider it. But if you're trying to win now, you'd use that first-round pick to try and get a receiver. So you more than likely take a step backward in rookie year, so in 2023. And your fourth-round pick, more than likely, is not going to contribute. So no, I, I wouldn't do any of that. So this is a team—see, I, I d Max thing, though, is he's got nothing in the middle of the spectrum. Mm. It's either you're in championship window or you're in complete nutter, you know, blow it up and utter blow-it-up-and-rebuild mode. And I think there's some middle ground, and I think the Broncos are in that. We're trying to win now. We're trying to establish that we're a contender. And then 24, 25, that's when we're moving into what we hope is championship window. You don't get there if you trade away Jerry Judy, Pat Sertan, your best players. You just don't.
0: At the same time, though, I mean, I think Pat Sertan should absolutely stay. But Jerry Judy is interesting in terms of roster construction here because you are going to get Tim Patrick back. And receivers – they're relatively easy to find. And we are at a point where you could look at Jerry Judy and the arc of where he is right now and say, are we going to give him the fifth year option? And you know, Is what he showed down the stretch last year reflective of who he is? Or does he fall back once you get Tim Patrick in there? And clearly we know how much Russell Wilson likes Tim Patrick and favors him as a target. What happens if Jerry Judy becomes wide receiver too in terms of, you know, kind of Russ's algorithm as he's looking for his receiving targets? Is Jerry Judy's value peaking right now? And if that's the case, at a position where it's relatively easy to find talent – that's where I think you think about it. If an offer comes in that you like,
1: yeah, I don't know that his. I mean, his value may be peaking because it's the best he's played um, as a pro, but I don't think he's played at a level that anybody's going to give up a number one. I think you've you've spent three years with him. You're just about to finally have it pay off, and then you move on from him. To me, it would be a mistake. I hope Tim Patrick comes back and is his old self. But as we've seen with Cortland Sutton returning from a ACL and playing that position, um, it can take a while. KJ Hamler though came back. And didn't seem to miss a step. Now, he couldn't stay healthy, but he couldn't stay healthy before the injury either. That was just sort of the norm with him. So I think that's a bit of a mystery as to what you're going to get with your receivers. I think the most reliable guy or the most known commodity is Jerry Judy. I think he's your best offensive player. You better get a haul if you're trading away your best offensive player. I mean, for the
2: first time since Jerry Judy was on TikTok with Roger Goodell the night he got drafted, right? Because it was COVID draft. It was virtual draft. And he's showing Goodell how to do his dance. For the first time since that moment, we saw the Jerry Judy that they took number 15 overall in the last six or seven games. So why would a guy that you invested in to be one of your top receivers of the future finally reaches his peak with a quarterback that he has chemistry with in Russell Wilson trade him now? That makes no sense. That's like you almost just finished building the brand-new house, and you're going to knock it over to try to start building a brand-new house. I don't get that. What
0: if you believe that is his peak and he doesn't go any higher? His peak was really good last year, three touchdowns in one game. yeah. Yeah, that's a great peak. I'd take that a couple times a season. I mean, the last seven games he was really good, but at the same time, you look at you look at like that year's draft class, and I mean there were there were plenty of receivers. And it's funny, like and Cecil Lamb and I talk about this on Denver Sport on, on a, not Denver Sports Night, but Orange and Blue today every day at three thirty on the Denver Sports Digital Channels. Um, every year there are good wide receivers. That's the thing. Like part of it is what exists at the position. It's hard to find tackles. It's hard to find quarterbacks who have pocket presence that have the whole package to be able to give you a chance to succeed. It's not hard to find wide receivers that you can win with. That's part. That's part of it for me here is that if you had to lose a player and find an apples-to-apples replacement at wide receiver, that's probably your best chance to find somebody who a year from now maybe is Jerry Judy. At name. the top of
1: the draft, you can find him, right, with Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase and CeeDee Lamb and guys like that. Justin Jefferson went after Jerry Judy. Yeah, but he's still a first-round pick, so you're going to use, the to, to me, the pick you would get in it, the main pick you would get in exchange for Jerry Judy, you're going to use to replace him and get the exact same position, I just don't think they have this gluttony of, uh, uh, glutton of, of of wide receivers that everybody else thinks they do. I mean, uh, find me the seven-game stretch since he's come back from his injury where Cortland Sutton's been as good as Jerry Judy was the last seven games of the year. I don't think you can find it. Now, before he got hurt, sure, but that, was, that seems like it was ages ago. Tim Patrick is a nice player. I don't know that you can find a seven-game stretch that was as good as what we saw out of Jerry Judy. KJ Hamler's a deep threat when he's healthy that, you know, okay, he can make one or two big plays about every four or five weeks. Jerry Judy's their best offensive player. I don't even think it's close. So unless you get a haul or you've got some sort of answer, like they were going to go, you know, they were going to trade for DeAndre Hopkins or something like that. I just don't know how you could do that. We saw what this team was like offensively when it was Kendall Hinton, Brandon Johnson, and Freddie Swain out there for a few games. It. It, they, they took an ugly offense and made it even uglier. And you mentioned Hopkins. Well, they didn't even go
2: to Odell Beckham Jr.'s workout, right? 11, 12 teams were right. down at the workout. If you were going to trade Judy, it's almost irresponsible to not go to Beckham's workout and take a look there. Hopkins, Beckham, whatever. So, yeah, it, it just – I still believe the real target they want to trade is Cortland Sutton. And there is some um, – whether you want to call it chess or whatever, advanced thinking going on behind the scenes of we will dangle Judy with no intention of actually trading him to try to get someone to bite on Cortland Sutton. At least that's what I hope as a fan, because I think it would be a big, big mistake to trade one of your top six players on this roster when you can't justify paying Russell
0: Wilson what you're paying him while also taking away weapons. That just doesn't jive with me. I mean, one thing that... Does that- that, again to kind of defend the notion of trading Judy is also while there are plenty of receivers coming in draftable in draftable category every year it's a bad free agent class at receiver as well like right now I mean who, you know who's left on the market DJ Shark Adam Thielen. Well, name the receiver that's gotten the big deal so far. That's a great point. You bring that up. I can't—I mean, Jeremy Myers got a decent deal.
2: Right,
1: Juju got a decent deal. But a year ago, Christian Kirk was getting, like, $70 million from Jacksonville, and everyone's like, hey, what? Well, now, that the fact that it is a bad free agent class for receivers does increase the value of those guys. Yes. Because if you are desperate for a receiver— and you don't have a pick that you think you can get a guy who's going to come in and contribute this year, which means you you probably have to have, what, legitimately, Mace, a top 20 pick to get a guy that you know is going to come in. That's a plug-and-play. And and be a day-one starter, then you probably do have to trade for somebody and think, you know what, if if we put him in our system with our quarterback, that guy is going to be so much better. That could drive the value of Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy up. I just think if you're in Broncos country, you want it to be a driving the value of Cortland Sutton up because if you can get out of that contract and get and move on from a guy who is, well, if Tim Patrick's right, Cortland Sutton is your third or fourth best receiver on this roster right now. Mm-hmm. That would be the guy you'd want to move if anybody if if somebody's willing to give you anything of note. But you're trading him when his value
0: is low. apart and and like last year, imagine if the Broncos had trade Bradley Chubb in the off season. What we you have gotten for him, third round pick at best, right? Because he was coming off a no sack season, and you sit there and you wait, he puts it back together first half of the season, and you get a pick that becomes Sean Payton. So, sell high is the value of selling high. It's you know, as I've said on and off air, it's a lesson that I wish the Colorado Rockies would take. That if you're not really, if you don't have a chance to win the title, and by the way, like where the Broncos are coming from, twelve losses. The only team that has come from that type of level to win a Super Bowl the following year was the St. Louis Rams with Kurt Warner that year.
1: I think, though, you uh, you make a good point when you when you bring up the Rockies. The issue with the Rockies has been they've never been willing to pick a lane, right? They, they keep trying to compete as opposed to just admitting, you know what? We're in rebuild mode, mm-hmm. and if you went down there and you're grabbing your, your beverage— And you're looking up on the scoreboard, and you you don't know a lot of the names up there, but at least they're 20, 21, 22 years old. You're like, okay, I get it. I see what's going on here. There's hope. Right. The worst thing you can do is when you're nowhere near it, go give Chris Bryant a hundred and some million dollar contract, which makes absolutely no sense. The Broncos, based on what they did for Russell Wilson, based on what they gave up for Sean Payton, based on what they've done in free agency, they've said, we're trying to win in 2023. Yep. That is what they're trying to do. So I, I just don't think getting trading away good players jives with that game plan. So therefore you have to you have to keep them. You're not you're not a seller, you're a buyer at this point. You you can't be both. Like look at the Nuggets. Right? They're in championship window and what were they at a, at a, at the deadline? Essentially a seller. Getting rid of Bones Highland makes no sense. You should have been a buyer. Well, Thomas Bryant's well. also
2: underachieved.
1: Well, okay, but they were buying, but they weren't they weren't shopping at Nordstrom, they were shopping at Dollar General. Unless you're trying to win in a different way.
0: And that's where the notion of trading one of these receivers becomes interesting because you sign Chris Manhurts, you have Greg Dulcich and Albert O, you're making a commitment to some power football. What if the Broncos are actually looking at being more of a two tight end team? or an I-formation team in either case having only two wide receivers on the field more often than not than the three-wide base set team that they were last year. And if that's the case, it stands to reason that you would consider a receiver – an expendable part from which you could get some draft capital that you could put more into what you're trying to make
1: this team into to have success. If they go into next season, though, if we roll down there for first day of training camp and their starting wide receivers are Tim Patrick and Cortland Sutton and their third guy is K.J. Hamler, uh, based on the injury history, I think that would be worrisome and, and, and then some. Like, that would be a concern to me. But the, But the third wide receiver would be a rookie. In the scenario we're outlining, right? Because they would use that first-round pick on a wide receiver. You would think, but okay. Throw even throw in a rookie wide receiver there, depending on um, where they take him. Mm-hmm. I still think you'd go in going. Oh, there's some unknowns in that position. That's a room we don't know a lot about. I mean, because you got the two, the two guys, Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick. You know something about, but one ACL, them, ACL, yeah. yeah, ACL with Hamler too. Right. So you got three. Your top three guys have all had ACL injuries, and then you have a rookie like. Mm-hmm. Man, I I think health makes it to where you you almost can't trade away Jerry Judy either. Unless there is a guy that they know they can get with whatever first-round pick they get in exchange for Jerry Judy. But if you're the team trading for Jerry Judy and you're holding that pick, why don't you just draft him? Why on earth are you trading it away? Just if the guy's so good that's going to be there at 18, then just pick him yourself. All right, so let's put the bird in the
0: hand, two in the bush, right? We're two in the bush, right? Jerry Judy is the bird in the hand. So let's put a final
2: bow on this. Uh, Sertan and Judy was the question D Mac posed to us. I say no on both. I'm just I'm out on both. You would have to overwhelm me, and I don't think you're going to get overwhelmed for either. I would
1: not trade either. What about you, James? I would trade Sertan if you can get what he suggests. If you get a Jalen Ramsey deal, I would trade him because I think. It- You can win without an elite corner. I think teams can just stay away from an elite corner. They don't take away half the field like they used to. It's not Bolitnikov and Branch, the only two guys running routes. You're essentially taking away a fifth of the field or a fifth of the options. I would trade away Pat Sertan if they can get that kind of value. I would not trade away Jerry Judy because they need more weapons on offense, not less. So, so he says
0: yes on one, no on the other. I'm no on both. What about you, Mace? I am. I wouldn't trade Pat Sertan. I would trade Jerry Judy. There, there are fewer players out there who can do what Sertan does mm. than what Judy does. All right, cool. Well, Sertan this- is the rarer
2: skill set. It was a good conversation. It was fun. We appreciate dmac uh, rolling us into it. All right, let's uh, let's pivot over to the madness, James, because that seems to be all anyone wants to talk about today. Uh, is your bracket sufficiently busted at this point? Eh, not too bad.
1: No, not too bad. I mean, I had Arizona going to the Sweet 16, so that hurts a little bit. Um, but I didn't. They're not a. You know, I, I think if you get through the first weekend and haven't lost the Final Four team, you're okay. Depending on how the scoring works in your in your pool. Yeah,
2: because if you get the Final Four right, you're gonna win your bracket. You provided are. you get the Final and the national title, right? Right.
1: So unless it's all four one seats, unless it's chalk. In the in the first two days, if you lose a Final Four team, a semifinal team, you're champion. You're 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 hurting. Yeah. Well, some amazing. of us
2: lost Arizona today, so I know you're you, you <laughs> went down that
1: road. I did not have Virginia going particularly far. No. I had Arizona losing to Baylor, so that's the two three game. That might be an elite eight game actually now that I think about it but still they weren't a final four team so until I lose uh one, one of the teams I had going to Houston I'm not going to worry too much no two three is sweet 16 because it's yeah. one okay, four okay, two three yeah,
0: yeah. Mace uh, bracket update I mean I didn't have Arizona getting to the final four I'm okay there I had them losing in the elite eight okay. so I took a hit there not as bad as it could have been um I had uva in the sweet 16 so that 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 messed me up yeah and, and if you're just driving home from work those were the two big upsets
2: today uh uva i i do feel bad for the kid we talked about this on the drive one of the most boneheaded passes in college basketball history thought he was patrick mahomes chucking it down the field he's got half the arm strength It gets intercepted at mid-court kick out easy three two seconds left ball game for all intents and purposes Furman wins and then a fifteen over a two guys, it's been become more common in recent years, but it's
0: still a fairly rare one. Princeton gets over on Arizona. You don't mess with those Ivy League teams. I mean, year in and year out, whoever wins the Ivy almost always gives the high seed they play a tough game.
1: You're right. We've seen it with Harvard and yes. Yale in, in recent years. Mm-hmm. You used to see it in, in with Princeton years ago, the old uh, Pete Carrill teams, right? They knocked UCLA out. Yeah.
0: A year after UCLA won it all, back in uh, UCLA won it all '95. Princeton made him a one and done in '96, and then of course there was the famous game, which almost was the first sixteen over one, which was Princeton Georgetown back in 1989. Mm-hmm. I think it was Alonzo Morning blocked the shot as time ran out to preserve a one point win. Give me a little yeah. history lesson, okay? It yeah. took uh, took another what thirty
2: years for before we finally got a sixteen over a one. Yeah. UMBC over Virginia in,
0: what, 17, 18, 19, something like it that? It in an 18, and, okay. uh, and then UVA turned around and won the title the next year and has not won an NCAA tournament game since winning the Natty back in 2019. And by the way, the 16 over 1, this is something This is something that might die off in the next few years because you've got a movement among bigwigs in college basketball, coaches, etc., to expand the tournament to like 90 teams, the NCAA is, it has this thing in mind that one quarter of the teams in Division One should be in postseason, mm. which would translate to about a 90 team tournament. Which I imagine they'd probably just say 96 teams, and basically give the the, the top 32 the you know the a buy into the second
1: round, but that would kill 16 against one. And it would kill upsets. It would kill all the matchups we're used to, right? The 5-12 goes away, where you're always like, okay, trying to figure out which one of them it's going to be. So, yeah, the the 15-2, because how the bracket would unfold there, to some extent, would be different every single year. You'd end up with a 1 playing a 48. Princeton
0: would be playing, like, like Boise, perhaps like if Princeton was the next to last seed uh, as a, as one of the automatic qualifiers, they'd be playing like a, they'd be playing a Boise state. I mean, Hey, if they beat them great, but it just wouldn't have the anywhere near the same thump and, and the same punch that brings us all to March Madness because March Madness is so interesting because for most people, not myself, but for most people, college basketball is a rumor until
1: today it's that way for most people yes and you're right it's interesting to watch Princeton when they're playing Arizona yeah it's not particularly interesting to watch Princeton if they were playing oral Roberts right mm-hmm. it no. just isn't it just isn't it would water down the product is what I think both you two yeah. are saying yeah and it's why you don't want too many upsets because when you get too many upsets you end up with second round or even you know sweet 16 games where it's like 13 versus 12. Like, that can be a decent matchup. But if you have too many of them advancing, you end up with bad matchups in the second round. So you want you want just the right number to still keep the magic alive, but you, you can definitely have too many. Well, if I'm not mistaken, one of the lowest-rated Final Four games ever
0: was 12 years ago when you had Butler and VCU. And Butler was, like, in the Horizon League, and VCU was in the Colonial, and they both went on those shock runs. And they were great stories, but then you put the two of them together— and it was a matchup that very few people watched. Oh, yeah, yeah you got to rip the rip the yeah. slipper off Cinderella at some you point. You want to watch Butler and Duke. That's what I, you want to watch. People kept watching St. Peter's last year because they played Kentucky, and then I think they played, was it like uh, Murray State in the second round? But then they played like Purdue, and they played North Carolina. People are going to watch yeah. St. Peter's play Purdue and Carolina. It's the David and Goliath. Nobody likes to see
2: David
1: and David fight. (laughs) No.
2: Quick update on the scores right now. Auburn's up on Iowa by 11, 9 over 8. Duke just crushing Oral Roberts. I know that was a a popular upset pick. Duke up 40 to 23. Northwestern is going to take a six-point lead into half over Boise State, 38-32. And uh, Texas... Not pulling in Arizona. They're up 14 on Colgate early. We will not get our second 15 over
0: 2 of the day. Guys, the madness. Oh, Colgate-Wisconsin a game last year, by the way, too, so it's surprising that they've kind of capitulated so quickly. That's uh, my toothpaste, tonight. man. Yeah, it's a great
2: place. Toothpaste Factory up there in Colgate. Uh, tonight, you've got Northern Kentucky, Houston, Louisiana, Tennessee. The Tennessee Volunteers were 5-7 and seven in their last 12 games. Could look for a 13-4 there. Penn State a and is one of the two nightcaps. Thing most people expect A&M to roll. And then, uh, U- Penn State just went on that run, though, in the Big Ten tournament, went all the way to the finals. I know, but A&M was grossly underseated yeah. as a 7. And then the finale tonight is UNC Asheville-UCLA. Everyone's going to be tuned into that because that's another 15-2 with a Pac-12 team that just played Arizona in the finals. We'll see if UNC Asheville can uh, get one on them. What's
1: UNC Asheville's nickname? Trivia time with Mace. I do not know. No, and that's one of the fun things about this time of year. You find all these schools and you learn all these mascots. I did not know that, you know, Texas A&M Corpus Christi was the Islanders until today. Uh, I'm stalling, by the way, while I try to think about it. <laughs> I just looked; it's actually not anything too it's crazy. The uh, let's go with the let's go with the Aggies, the Bulldogs, the Bulldogs. Okay, okay. The, the Georgia Bulldogs. Sure, Asheville's kind of a quirky town.
0: Though. It is. You'd think they could come up with something more original than that. All right, like, what
2: about Northern Kentucky, fellas? The Norse. No,
1: they're the are they? Are they? The Norse. Western Kentucky's the Hilltoppers. Yeah.
2: Louisiana, that's a one everyone knows. Great occasions, yeah. Yep. I don't know if there's any other good ones. I'm I a North Glen grad. Who am I rooting for tonight? Northern Kentucky? That's yeah. My fellow Norse? How- Howard lost to Kansas today. Any guesses? The Bison. See, Mace is too good at this game. Man. Maybe I should Man. just sit it out. <laughs> no. Holy cow. It, it's fun. It's fun. Yeah, we'll obviously keep an eye on... Uh, on these scores as they go on. And the the best part is you get to do it all again tomorrow with another 16 games. Do you guys, if your bracket's busted, do you guys lose interest after the first weekend?
1: No, no. Uh, now, I, I find this weekend the most interesting. Sure and then it's sweet 16 and then honestly unless it's great matchups or there's a great story sometimes i'll find myself on final four saturday going oh yeah there are games here. cuz you go a long way yes. you go 6 days where you haven't had a game and you just kind of get it out of your out of sight out of mind usually baseball's kind of getting started and so it's just i kind of blank on it but i don't totally lose interest until we get down to the final four and if there's not a, a really compelling matchup i actually thought in
0: 2021 the year where everything got played in the state of Indiana because of COVID, and they kind of did the bubble type of thing for the tournament. You had, I believe, like the the first two rounds were, if I'm not mistaken, weren't they on Saturday and Sunday or like Friday and Saturday? They pushed them back a day or two. And so you had like a round of 64 that took place on a weekend, and then the Elite Eight was like on Monday and Tuesday, and the final four was on Saturday. I kind of liked the rhythm of that, how it turned out a bit better like, to me, I'd love it if the first round was actually Saturday, Sunday. Like, to these these two days, Thursday, Friday, I think these are the best days, sports, two of the best days sports wise in this country every year. Well, and the best part and about it is
1: when you get a bad game, you just click over to True TV or wherever there's right. a good game, right? Like, you're going to have a pretty high percentage of stinkers in the first round, but you're not forced to watch it. Mm-hmm. You know, when you get into the Sweet 16 and certainly beyond that, there's one game at a time. So if it's a bad game it's like okay time to go you know put some fertilizer down it's supposed to snow tonight it turns into that whereas today and tomorrow and to some extent even over the weekend you can just click around until you find a game that's good part of the weekend but like it's weird the way they do like the
0: Saturday schedule they usually have they start with like two games kind of by themselves and only later on the day do you get to where you can click around and have some choice like these two days are, it as far as just being able to be guaranteed to watch a good game pretty much anytime yeah no one did anything today at work let's be honest like
2: it it was a a day around america where productivity lacked that's for sure because most people posted up in their cubicle with their laptop open watching the games and then the boss come by and you quickly click over to the spreadsheet the stats of how much money the the country loses on these days are wild see our lobby today yeah. <laughs> we work in sports, though. We're lucky. Yes, no I no know. one's going
0: to come yell at us, hey, you're watching basketball. Well, we're talking about it right now. Right. So basically, we just rationalized the time that we spent out
1: there watching basketball today. Well, and tomorrow, um, St. Patrick's Day oof. and the NCAA tournament, you oof. thought today was unproductive. Tomorrow's going to take it to a whole nother level. All right. Coming
2: up next, Nikola Jokic gets dinged by the voters and the odds makers through no fault of his own. We'll fill you in.
1: Denver Sports Tonight on Denver Sports Station.
2: 104.3 the Fan. Nicole Jokic penalized today by the odds makers, the voters, whatever you want to call it. Not his fault, but James for the first time in months. He is no longer the favorite to win NBA MVP. The award, of course, would be his third straight. Joel Embiid is minus 110. Uh, The Joker is plus 150. Giannis Antetokounmpo is plus 350. So it's tight. It's close. But it did look like he was going to run away with this award. And this four-game losing streak has penalized him in a big way.
1: Yeah. I mean, it has. But, you know, his numbers have still been good. But part of the argument this year was that he was elevating his teammates and he was leading his team to the best, uh, best record in the Western Conference, which they still have. But if they were you know, right there with the Bucks and the Celtics and vying for best overall record in the NBA, he'd still be the favorite. But I do think the controversy and the narrative changed momentum away from him. All the Perkins stuff, Kendrick yep. Perkins. Yep. It did. It did. Um, and I think that the way the Nuggets have played as a team has hurt. And look, he played well the other day, but he had a shot to win it and missed it. If you make that shot against the Nets... That's the that's one of the lead stories on Sports. Well, Town. Hold, on, hold on, within the last hour,
2: I can't. The segments are all blending together. You criticize Malone for drawing up that play for you. It
1: was a terrible design. Okay, but then how how can you expect him to make it? That I year? don't expect him to make it. But had he made it, had he made a miracle falling out of bounds three pointer to win the game at the buzzer, and the crowd goes nuts? That's going to be the highlight everybody sees. That, yeah. That's just it, that's just the reality of it. 35, 20 and eleven that day against Brooklyn. I know.
2: Thirty-seven Brooklyn at home. Thirty-seven, eleven and eleven down in San Antonio. He's still averaging a triple double. How can we punish the Joker and threaten in a way to take away this trophy for a third straight time because of one four game losing streak where he's played great? That logic just does not add up to me because guess what? They would have lost those games by fifty if Jokic wasn't on the team. That, again, this is a debate we have every year, the word value. He has shown his value because if he goes down to San Antonio and doesn't have 37-11-11, they
1: lose to the worst team in the NBA by 30-plus. Well, you know when he did better in the MVP race? When nobody on the Nuggets talked about it. When he didn't talk about it, when Malone didn't talk about it, when Malone wasn't up there trying to lobby for what a good defensive player that Jokic is, and look, I think he's better than people give him credit for, but centers are typically rim protectors if they're great defenders he's not that at all and part of the problem in this in this four game stretch here where they've lost is they've been bad defensively and part of that's been it's been a ton of points in the paint I think it was the was it which game was it one of the games they gave up just a bundle they're all the losses are running together and then just it's a, it's the inside out game. Where they try to attack the basket, he needs to get help, and then they kick it out for open threes. That has it's exposed him a bit in the in the mind of voters when they're playing this poorly and when they're playing this poorly defensively. Yeah, but the losing streak, who's it
2: on? Right, Jokic is about seventeenth on my list behind Rocky. No one's blaming Jokic for the losing streak. I get the it. The losing streak is on Murray. It's on Gordon. It's on Malone in a lot of instances in my eyes. Uh, okay, okay, but the but, bench.
1: But Like, there's a lot of but, people to blame that aren't named Nikola Jokic, yet he's getting the biggest penalty I this. understand that, but when your narrative and your story, not you, but the royal you, is he's not stat padding. He gets a triple-double, and he's, he's won his last 29 in a row. And then when you lose a couple, it's like, okay, well, that's gone when you have a triple-double and you lose. Like, the, you can't give him credit for the wins, and he gets no blame for the losses. That's that's starting to make him Teflon at that point. Like, you can't have it both ways.
0: Yeah. Mm.
2: I see what you're saying, but on the other hand, I will reiterate, if he hadn't played out of his mind against the Spurs and the Nets, those would have also been blowouts, much like Chicago was a blowout and much like Toronto was a blowout. So he saved them from four straight
1: blowouts with two great games. Well, and they're also, they've played in the last six games, 24 quarters, and you can count the first half today, so we're at 28 quarters. They played like two good quarters. They could have lost to the Grizzlies. They were they, that was a great fourth quarter to close that one out, and they should have lost to Toronto here. That was Scott Foster bailing them out. Yep. They were down seven in that game with a minute and a half to go, so they just haven't played good basketball in two weeks. When your team, other, it, other than the second half against Memphis, yeah, so maybe that was a full half of good basketball. It was. They were down like eight at halftime. They ended up blowing the Grizzlies out, but it's just when your team isn't playing particularly well and you're the guy that's getting credit for, hey, your style of play is making everybody else around you better. Oh, every, Aaron Gordon having his most efficient season, and Jamal Murray's most efficient season, and KCP most efficient season, and then those guys start, miss, start missing shots. It's like, okay, well, you, you can't have it both ways, and it's just there's always an excuse with Nuggets Nation, right? Now it's Jake Shapiro and his DenverSports.com article about, oh, they must be injured because they're missing shots. No, they're just... Going through a stretch where they're missing shots, they're not playing very good basketball. that's just the way it goes at times they're just doing it at the worst possible time for their MVP candidate It's not going to cost them the one seed I don't think although if they blow this yeah, game find some wood man if they don't if they blow this game tonight, then I think all bets are off but it is it is going to cost him the MVP. I don't think he's going to win it all right but here's and
2: that's certainly a prediction that I don't disagree with. I do think the voters now have an excuse to give it someone else but here's the the larger question James. And we can say it in jest, the curse of John Morant, the curse of Shotgun Willies, whatever. But in all seriousness, what happened after the Memphis game? Because something weird has happened. And again, the timing of Morant being in Glendale and all that, that you know that's a quirky, like, like we joke, oh, Shannon Sharp broke the Grizzlies, whatever. That's probably not what actually broke the Nuggets. But it does feel like this season 180 after that
1: night, ESPN, Nuggets, Grizzlies, Ball Arena. Yeah, because they won the next game against Toronto, but they played poorly. Yep. They got bailed out in that game with three or four calls down the stretch, not just the t. First time in 20 years the Zebras have done the Nuggets' favors. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that you're right. That was the moment, and they have not been the same team. No. And, and I don't know necessarily what it has been. I, I think Michael Malone, as much as I did not like a lot of his rant after the loss in Toronto the other night, and I didn't like the fact that it was all, I'm going to be here. And in essence, he said, I do my job. Who's going to show up and do do their job with me, which I did not like. But his point about how they were in chill mode, because they went into chill mode after they beat the Grizzlies. We all said it. Hey, if they win tonight, they've clinched the one seed. It, this thing is over. They were reading their own, own headlines, listening to their own radio. Yep, that's what, that's what happened. They thought they had it wrapped. They were not looking out the front window worried about Milwaukee and Boston they were worried about who was in the rearview mirror and as soon as they got so far behind them they didn't they couldn't see him anymore or thought they couldn't see him anymore they took the foot off the gas and that is dangerous in a game it's dangerous in a season once you go down that road it is tough to flip that switch again yeah it, it's scary because well, there's still, after tonight, 12
2: games before the playoffs, in theory there's still time, you know, about a month on the calendar until the playoffs will begin, recapturing Magic in season, especially, I mean, they may lose to Detroit tonight. This, this could be a thing. Whew, James, that's hard to recapture, man. It is. It is to just say we're the same team that was so dominant in J- January and February, all of a sudden be that team in April again just because you decided you want to be. You'd much rather start the season really cold and build up toward the playoffs than have this funk now that it looks like they just may not get out of.
1: Yeah, you know, it's, it's a little bit like if you look at the 2014 Broncos. Who lost to the Colts in the first round when all the coaches took jobs the day of the game. Yeah, but really it was that game in St. Louis that year when they lost 22-7. to seven. Broke them. That broke that offense. They were not the same group because they were rolling and it's, confidence is a two-way thing, right? Like, they had confidence that they were just going to go out and put up 35 on anybody. And the other team came into the game thinking, how on earth are we going to keep them under 35? All of a sudden, the, the Rams, a fairly pedestrian Rams team, holds them to seven? Yeah, like, that that wasn't a scary Rams defense. Yeah, like, what, what's, what's going on here? And it was never the same offense for a, the next year and a half with Peyton Manning. They had flashes, but it just wasn't. And you can go all the way back to Mike Tyson getting beat by Buster Douglas. He had most of his opponents beat Will before he ever walked in the ring. Uh, Michael Spinks was, was like, shaken. He was terrified. And he lost in 91 seconds. And as soon as Buster Douglas knocked him on his butt, Mike Tyson on his butt, and showed everybody, yeah, he's human. He can be beat. He wasn't the same boxer. And it's a, it, this one wasn't a defeat, necessarily, but it's the same thing of, you flip the switch off, you go on cruise control, and all of a sudden you get people start to to see that hey, they're beatable. Oh, look, if you get a little physical with them, this happens and you know, this, that, and the other, and they they've lost their swagger. And when you lose your swagger, it's tough to get it back.
2: Coming up next, you remember our old friends Drew Locke and Trevor Simeon? Well, they both made news today.
0: Station 1043, the band presents
2: Denver Sports Tonight. Final segment, James Marilow, Will Peterson. James, do you want the good news or the bad news? Uh, you know what? Let's end
1: on good news, so let's start with the bad news. Bad news the Nuggets are in a dogfight in Detroit. They are. If they lose tonight, they are in serious trouble. And look, I don't want to play body language analyst here, but I'm going to. They look like a tightly wound, stressed out, having no fun group. I mean, look at the look at the faces on the sideline. Nobody's having any fun. And I get it, it's a close game, but they are up a point. It's it, it just they just look like a team that is miserable. That's the number one team in the West right now. That's a team that's gonna have home court advantage unless they just totally collapse until the NBA finals. And they look like they are just hating life at the moment something is going on something happened something we happened no theories, but something happened yeah the Memphis
2: game man they uh, they escaped the Grizzlies and have not been right since that game and we all know what happened in the early morning hours with Ja Morant uh a few hours after that one all right the good news James we yes. got good news yes, let's hear the good news let's hey you know what down. we might have to we might have to put one parade back on and it definitely it doesn't look like the nuggets right now but the Avs, man, they're up 5-2 in Ottawa after two periods. They won one game, 2-1 last night against Toronto in a grinded-out playoff-style game. And tonight they're playing Jonas Johansson, his second game of the year in goal. So they realize, hey, we're playing a third-string equals goalie. Last time we played Eustace Ananen, he gave up seven. We better score a lot of goals. They flipped the switch tonight, up 5-2 two after two. The Avs are going to beat the Senators, crawl up those standings. James, we're going to blink, and they're going to win the Central Division and be right near the top of the Western Conference.
1: Yeah, and I, look, they're going to make it now. There was a time when we were all thinking, geez, they may miss the playoffs. I never went down that road, but that was a conversation. That is pretty much off the table now. They're going to make it. And once they're in, I don't really care what their seed is in the West. I think the Nuggets have to have the number one seed to get out of the West. They, they're not going to go on the road for game one and game two of a series and steal one yeah. at Golden State or steal one at Phoenix. I just don't think they will. So they have to have it. The Avs don't. The Avs were, what, 9-1 and one on the road last year in the postseason? And they only lost in the Stanley Cup final. Yeah. So And they
2: won two of three on the road in the Stanley Cup final.
1: Didn't lose a single road game in, in the West. That's crazy. So if they get in, they're going to get to the— I think they're going to get to the Stanley Cup final. They're not as good as Boston. They're not as good as probably Tampa Bay this year. There's some teams: Toronto, Carolina,
2: the yeah. Rangers, the Devils. They're all right in that. conversation. Although we just
1: watched them last night play to, play Toronto, yep, and they can go toe to toe with that team. And that those two teams for seven games would be a coin flip. I mean, I went to a shootout last night. It's a coin flip game. I think all seven of them would essentially be that. Uh, maybe not quite that uh, that low scoring and that that down to the wire. But I think that would be a good series. They can hang with anybody in the East. I'm just not saying... I'm not sure I would pick them to beat Boston.
2: And with all due respect to Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. and Aaron Gordon, who I like, I like all four of those guys, I trust Kyle McCarr, Nathan McKinnon, Miko Rantan a lot more because they've already shown to me they can do
1: it. Yeah, they've proven their clutch. Mm-hmm. They've proven they're good leaders. They've proven they can, you know, circle the proverbial wagons when they have to and, and go, you know, us against the world and get it done on the road. This Nuggets team hasn't shown any of that. In fact... When it started getting a little tough this year, they've crumbled. They've crumbled once the national narrative, narrative started being negative about the Nuggets. They have absolutely fallen apart. They've got 11 and a half
2: minutes to win this game against Detroit that they absolutely have to win or the panic meter will be off the charts. But I did say, James, we had news on two of our old friends. One you really liked, one you did not like at all. Correct. Drew Locke and Trevor Simeon, uh, and it actually went your way today. Trevor Simeon was cut by the Bears Man, James,
1: I don't know. Does he get another job holding a clipboard? He kind of feels like a fringe guy at this point. Yeah, I don't think so. I think there have been enough other quarterbacks come into the league since he got in there that, you know, you're going to keep someone else around as your second string guy, as your young guy. I think everybody knows what the ceiling is for Trevor Simeon, and it's pretty low. This may be the end of the road of his NFL career. Yeah, which, hey, a heck of a lot longer NFL career than I ever thought he would have, than probably most people ever thought he would have. So, um, good for him pushing a decade of playing in the NFL. So if it is the end of the road, he's got nothing to be ashamed of by any means. But yeah, I, I just boy, what's the situation where he's he's going to be the answer as your backup at this point? Northwestern
2: football analyst Trevor Simeon
1: coming your way. Yeah, that's through. exactly what. That's exactly what. You, or you know, quarterbacks coach, offensive coordinator. I think that's in the future for if Trevor he Simmons. wants to go in yeah, that world. If he wants to, he's probably made enough money that he doesn't need to. But th- that could be a path he could go down.
2: Uh, the uh, other piece of news is that Drew Locke is back in Seattle. It's a one-year deal for four and a half million, up to seven in incentives. We all know Geno's the guy in Seattle because he just got the hundred and five million. But Drew happy to uh, go running back as the Seahawks' backup quarterback. Yeah, go interesting. Back to the bench.
1: You know, he did, he he was uh, he was sort of the model backup this year. Right, like uh, he didn't he didn't cause any issues. He lost the job in training camp in the preseason, and because of COVID, that was what was crazy well, about it. Yeah, yeah. And he, you know, he was he was on the sidelines and rooting on his his teammate and being a, a good backup for Geno Smith. So I think they wanted him back. It's an interesting contract. It's not it, it's not as uh, it's not a little amount of money. Not quite what Jarrett Sidham got here, but four and a half with incentives to get to seven, which leads me to believe. Uh, that Drew Locke thinks he's going to get to uh, get a chance to play and hit those incentives. So interesting. It will be interesting to see what uh, what transpires up there. That was, the, by the way, second time the Nuggets have thrown a lazy pass into the post and didn't see somebody coming from the backside to steal it and go the other direction for a dunk. Second time in four minutes. I hate Drew Lock. <laughs> oh, you guys hate Drew Lock, man. You you and D
2: like this Nuggets thing. I'm just going to have the Twitter machine fired up because you two are both going to fly off the handle if they don't win this game. If they
1: lose this game... Which, there's only 11 minutes left. It's no longer a big if. They're down five. I'm telling you, all right? And I wrote this yesterday at denversports.com. If they don't go at least two and two in the final four games of this road trip, which starts tonight, Michael Malone should be fired. You can't afford to waste another season... Of Nikola Jokic's prime. If they lose tonight to Detroit, they're in the HOV lane to getting right there. This thing, the lug nuts are flying off. Talk about Drew Locke. Lug nuts are flying off this thing. I hate Drew Locke. As I told you, it would be unprecedented. Hmm?
2: But there's a reason they call you James Unprecedented Marilat. Yeah, just because it hasn't happened before doesn't mean it shouldn't. For KJ, for James, and Mace, and DMAC and the whole crew, I'm Will. Fun show, Denver Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan.